0: series right now called Working for the Man and uh, it's a series about how does God view our work how does God view the work we do and and what we've been talking about is this idea that we were created to be stewards and 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 we've said this different ways in different series. In one series we were saying we weren't created to be kings, we were created to be stewards and all this but this idea of stewardship is why we were created in the first place a relationship with god and to care for the creation that he made we we're created in god's image and you could make the argument that we were created to create we were created to work and, and there's this fallacy that says when man sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, God created work <laughs> and, and, and that we, we long for a day coming up in the future where we won't have to work. We'll just lie down and eat grapes and, uh, you know, say the name of Jesus and kind of just have some like eternal remote control in our hand and everything, all our wildest dreams will come true. But in fact, we were sent into the garden to take care of it to take care of God's creation long before the fall. What happened at the fall is that the ground was cursed, and now it becomes more difficult. But you were created. Your body is here to move, to work, to uh, create things. This is the way we were created. And so we've been asking ourselves the the question, does God care about our work? And then what we did last week was we opened this up. It's not just going to work, you know, Monday through Friday. It's does God care about how we do our chores? Does God care about how we clean our room if we're young? Does God care about how we change diapers if we're a single mom? All these ways we use our body. Does God care about how we play basketball on the weekends? Does God care about kind of how we physically are, what we do? And the verse we kind of landed on last week uh, was this one that says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. And so it's this idea that whatever is going on, however you're living your life, however you're, maybe you're retired, we do that retirement as unto the Lord, not as unto men. If, if, you, if you don't have a job and you just volunteer places, how you volunteer, Be volunteer to the Lord. As you go to school, you go to school like you're going to school for God. If you're a stay-at-home mom, you're a stay-at-home mom for the Lord. So that's what we talked about. Basically, the the conclusion we kind of came to was this idea that there's no secular work and there's no menial task. We have this idea that I'm in full-time ministry, so my job is spiritual, and then your job, uh, because it's in an office, is, is secular. The Bible doesn't support that at all. The Bible says there is no secular job and there's no menial task. Do everything as unto the Lord. That's what we've been talking about. And so uh, this week, what I want to talk to us about is this idea that uh, God has given us stewardship over something that's incredibly valuable, uh, that you get a certain amount of, that you can spend, right? You can waste it away, uh, but you can't save it. It's our time. God has given us a life. God has given us a certain amount of days, and we don't know how many days we have. That's why I told you when you sat down to turn to someone and say, we all got to go sometime, right? We, we, we all don't know. And the Bible's got this weird tension in it that, that, that has us come from one of kind of two areas. One, the Bible teaches clearly that our, our lives are just, they're just a breath. They're, 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 the Bible says uh, it's a vapor you know, I don't know if you've ever thought about your life just being a vapor. It's a breath. It's we're done. Today, today the uh, the twenty seventh. day the twenty seventh. Uh, one hundred fifty thousand people will die on this planet, and three hundred and sixty thousand will uh, will be born. So do do the, ma- do the math. But one hundred fifty thousand people today is their last day. Done. Their breath is done. They're done. And, 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 and there'll be mourning for those people, and it will be horrible. And then 50 years from now, people will go, remember, great, you know, grandpa, whatever. And then we'll go, unless the Lord returns, what God has given us right now for, if you can make it through this sermon, everybody here is stewardship of time a certain amount of time. So the Bible talks about this idea that we're but a breath, we're but a snap of the fingers. We'll read a verse in a second that says we're a hand breath, which is mean we're just like as, as much as you can kind of do that when it comes to God. But then on the other side of the spectrum, the Bible makes it super, super clear that in this vapor, in this breath, in this lily of the field, the grass that grows up and is withered, this thing called our life, in there, how we spend our time can count for eternity. And so so on the one hand, God's like, listen, you guys are nothing, you know, kind of, because he's God, he can say stuff like that. I, you, you're just a, you're just a, I existed before time, I'm greater than you, I'm smarter than you, I'm more attractive than you, I'm everything better than you, right? But on the other hand, man, how you spend that time that I've given you can count for all of eternity. It can impact the kingdom of God. And so, you'll uh, read a verse like this one that says, show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. would that be terrible to know? Like, would that be terrible or exciting? I don't know. Like, if, if it's like you, know, you get an envelope from God and he's like, well, here, you know, I'm like, Lord, show me the number of my days. Okay. Ah, uh, well, <laughs> I take that back. Like, yeah, you, know, you get it and you're just like, please be a big number. Please be a big number. Please, you know, and you open it up. I mean, Anyway, I'm digressing. Show me the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You've made my days a mere hand breath. The span of my years is nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. And it says, Selah, which means pause. Which means think about that. Think about that. Your life is just like that. Is that exciting or depressing? You know, it's like, man, think about that. If our life is a breath, if it's just like this and God has given us stewardship of it and he says in that time, in that breath, in that vapor, you can change the kingdom of God. How do you view your day? How do you view your week? How do you view your job? How do you view your house? There's a um, book that our staff went over called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I know it doesn't sound spiritual. Uh, it, it's a business book and it, it just basically goes over kind of, you know, how to approach different situations and do it in an effective manner, okay? And um, in that first chapter, the whole chapter is called uh, about being proactive. And so the, the whole thing is about, you know, stop it's, stop whining, essentially, is kind of the the, the first chapter. It's like, don't don't talk about your circumstances like, oh, I, w- I would have really done well except my boss, or if I had a different wife, or if we lived in a different neighborhood, or whatever. The book is like, be proactive. Now The problem with the book and the pro- uh, is really the source of strength for all of it is you. Uh, you know, reach down in yourself, pull yourself up from your bootstraps, and all this kind of stuff. So, so I was, you know, as we went over this as a staff, I started noticing, you know, The Bible actually does a better job of talking about this stuff than the seven habits do. Except the seven habits has this one diagram that's not in the Bible that I really like. It's called the circle of influence and the circle of concern. The Bible speaks directly to this, and we're going to get this in a minute, but I want to explain these two circles first, and then we'll get to the Bible. I promise if you're like, this is like a coaching seminar or a motivational speaker uh my teeth aren't that white but thank you um so i want to show you the circle of concern this is kind of all the concerns in your life now i made up some of them I, i don't know if they're all concerns in your particular life um but um These are concerns that I've heard from people throughout my life that I was assured I really need to worry about, okay? And so uh, they're in there. Uh, Mad cow disease is in there. The bird flu. Do you remember the bird flu? And anyone saw a dead bird and like CNN would show up and there'd be trucks and they're like, I don't know. And like the, you know, they take tongs and put it in there and we're bird. Anyway, anyway. All this kind of stuff that concerns our life. And your list is going to look different than mine. Yours probably doesn't have shark attack on it, um, but mine does. And and so, you know, it's kind of everything you're concerned about. Now, what, what happens is we begin to become overly consumed with this kind of stuff. You know, we start thinking in terms of like, man, what's going to happen with the economy? But we can't change it. And so we, we obsess and we go over all this stuff, all this stuff, and yet we're having no influence. So in the center of that circle of concern is this thing of influence. And as you can see, the circle of influence is green, and it touches on some of these things. So you can actually influence your kid. Well, I can't, but you probably can. Influence your kids. You might be able to influence your extended family. I, I put marriage kind of halfway there because, you know, who knows what your marriage is like. And then uh, your friends and your health and your retirement— this is, I just threw this together, so don't analyze it too much. But there's a set of things that you actually can influence, okay? Now, the book says, focus on the things you can actually influence, and you'll be able to influence more. Do you know where that's from? It's from the Bible. <laughs> but Jesus isn't talking about you influencing your life so that your retirement looks good or you don't get the bird flu, okay? Okay. Jesus is talking about influencing your life for eternity and for the kingdom of God. He says it this way. If you're faithful with little, you're going to be faithful with lots. If you focus on the stuff that I've given you stewardship over, okay, your family, your finances, your time, your life, where you are at church, all these things. I've given you stewardship over that. If you're faithful in that, you're going to be faithful in more. And this is, what, this is what they say in Seven Habits. It's like the more you focus on your circle of influence, the more it grows. So, you know, the hope is that if you see this now, this person who's, you know, been really investing in their kids and their friends and their extended family and their retirement. I don't even know why I put that in there. But uh, all this kind of stuff. Now, now, they're beginning to influence more and more and more because people look and they go, wow, I, I, how are you doing that? I saw your whole family went through that horrible thing. How did you guys get through it? Because we didn't concern ourselves with the circle of concern. So in our house, I, I mean, I say this all the time. Lisa's probably terrible at it. I'll just go, circle of concern. Like, you know, she's like, really, my day? You're like, oh, sorry. No, I'm kidding. Right? But, but, right? And so, so this idea that if we invest in the things that are important, we will make an impact. This is the Bible talks about this all the time. If we focus on the things of the kingdom, the kingdom in our lives will expand. You know how else Jesus says it? He says it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things, they'll be added to you. You'll get them. It might not be the way you think you're going to get them. And so somebody really, uh, you know, who really like invests in their uh, thing of influence might have something like this. And the only reason I put this up here is to show you that No matter how much you focus on your circle of influence, you will never influence shark attacks. They're totally outside. Nobody can influence those, but you could influence mad cow disease and uh, maybe a little bit of Y2K. I'm not sure. But uh, here's what happens though. We end up getting so concerned, so obsessed with the stuff that we can't change, that our circle of influence actually begins to shrink Because people who are working on their circle of influence don't have time to hear about all the things they can't change. And so when that begins to happen, you begin to get no influence. Now, that's seven habits. Who really cares, right? Except here's the thing. Paul wrote a letter to a church in Ephesus that kind of told them about their circle of concern and their circle of influence. Of course, he didn't use it that way. I don't even know if the circle was invented back then. But he he told them that, listen, there are going to be a lot of things that you don't have any control over. But your number one thing is to control what God has given you stewardship of. Jesus, uh, and Paul, says that is your time. We're going we're gonna to see uh, what that actually looks like. So it's in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses uh, 8. And we're going to go all the way to th- through 17, okay? Let me give you a... Um, let's back up a little bit. I'll give you a little kind of a history of what's going on here. The church of Ephesus at this particular time had about 250,000 people in it. it was a, for that time, it was a big city. And it had this temple... In the middle, the center of, the, 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 of all their commerce and everything was surrounded around this temple called the Temple of Artemis, and it's actually one of the seven wonders of the world. It was a beautiful temple, and they worshipped Diana, and, and it, was, it was worse than what you think. Like, like, it wasn't just, you know, you go and you bow down to the temple and you, and you kiss Diana's feet. It was this whole kind of fertility thing and all these temple prostitutes and, and, and they had these public bathhouses, which, oh, that was before Purell, which, I, you know, it's just like this, you know, it's just disturbing, right? And, and so what happens is Paul, during the day, reads the, gets his newspaper, opens it up and there's an article on Ephesus and he doesn't sit there and go, Ephesus, idol worship. This is horrible. You know, honey, get in here. How come we worship idols now? What's the big deal? Paul goes to Ephesus, and he plants a church. So Paul takes this circle of concern that the harvest is plentiful, and the workers are few, and he learned from Jesus, and he goes, we need to send out workers into the harvest field. So he goes, and he plants his church. Well, guess who comes to Christ in that town? All the people, or many of the people who We're worshiping the idol. And so Acts tells us that Paul influenced that city so much that the people who made the little idol like trinkets and stuff got upset at him and tried to drive him out of town because it was affecting their business. That's the kind of influence Paul had. Well, once that church started, Paul then sent a letter to them to encourage them because he realized, he knew he was there and Timothy took over that church. He realized this this town is jacked up. And this church needs to know, how do you live in a town that's that corrupt, okay? So he writes this letter, and here's what he reminds them. He says, for you were once darkness. In other words, all the things you're concerned about with this town, you were once that. All the, the sin and corruption and all that kind of stuff, these people were snatched out of that. And now they're trying to live their lives. For you were once Darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. And then he says this, live as children of light. You know what light does? It influences every area it goes into. Light just does that naturally. You take out the light, you have darkness. When light comes in, it influences. And watch what he says. He says, live as children of light. And it's almost like as a, this parenthetical statement. As, Here's how you'll know you'll, you're doing it. In your life, there's going to be righteousness. The light consists of in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. This is the fruit of a life that's lived in the light. Okay. Then he says, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do. Now here we go with that word again, fruit. But now it's fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Now let me ask you a question. Well, let's say we're living in Garden Grove, and um, there's the temple of uh, the Strawberry Festival, uh, which is uh, it's just this little thing we're doing right now in Garden Grove. And we used to love the strawberry festival and we'd go there and we'd worship our, our golden strawberries and uh, we'd c- carry little strawberries around our neck and all, all, all this kind of stuff. And then you were saved from that and now you're here, right? Or, or you go to the uh, Friends Church on Knott Avenue, not Avenue Christian, whatever. Okay, and, and, and now you're in church. How does this verse apply to you? How, how, how do we live as children of light? Now, if you think about it, you think, oh, okay, well, um, you know, know the Bible as best we can. That's good. Uh, pray. Um, love each other. Those are, all, those are all really good things. How do we expose the deeds of darkness? Do we pick it and go over and, you know, you know golden strawberries, you know, no, down with the strawberries or whatever do, do we pick it? Like, how do we expose the darkness? See, let me, let me tell you what I think. I think light just does that. I think if we're focused on the stewardship of the life God has given us, this breath, this vapor, we will begin to influence those around us. Now watch, he goes on and he, and he starts giving us some examples of this. Find out what pleases the Lord have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention What the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Who's the light? Us. We walk as children of light. And we're supposed to do it in such a way that as we become, get into these opportunities, as we just naturally walk into the, our jobs and into school and all these kind of things, as we spend our time, we, ha- we make an influence. We, ha- we make a difference. Now, it might not make a difference the way we want to. There might be things in our circle of concern that we just can never touch. Shark attacks and the bird flu. But we can have an impact on that neighbor. We can definitely have an impact on the little league team. We can have an impact on the, on the bunko group that we go play bunko with or the, you know, whatever. As we walk as children of light, it just becomes visible. It just happens. Okay. And then, um, this is a verse that if you have a high school, uh, daughter or son, feel free to use this on them every morning, uh, with a thing. It says this, um, for the, uh, yeah, uh, for it is the light that makes everything visible. That is why it said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's the new way you can wake up your kids. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Listen, what's he saying? He's saying, Listen, guys, you're in this town, and it's dark. You're surrounded by darkness. Now, we can sit with the paper open all day long and lament about how it didn't used to be this dark. We can sit all day long and watch all the things to confirm what we believed in the first place. Man, it's dark out there. We can, we, can, we can read blogs, we can get texts, we can subscribe to things, we can do all this stuff. We can get all the information we want that confirms what the Bible says all along. It's darkness. How in the world are we going to combat it as the church? Live in the light. <laughs> Righteousness, goodness, truth. Well, how do we do How is that going to change the world? God's not asking you to change the world. He's asking you to change your world. He's asking you to live a life worthy of the gospel. He's asking you to go, okay, I've been given this breath, this vapor, this little time on earth that's barely going to amount to anything. And you're telling me I could change the kingdom of God with it for all eternity? That's exactly what he's saying. Okay, so let me show you what he says, because we're getting to the the main part of this. So because of this, because we're in darkness, because uh, darkness is expelled by the light, because we are to live in the light, we're to be children of the light, we're walking to the fruit of the light, which is righteousness, goodness, and truth, and that anything in the darkness is fruitless, it has no value whatsoever. Because of this, Paul makes this radical statement. He says this, Be very careful then. How you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Now, how do we do that? How do we live as wise people of light in the darkness? What example do you think Paul's going to use to live as wise? Well, if I want to be wise, I probably need to know the Bible. That would be a good example. Be be wise. Memorize lots of scripture. If I want to be wise, I'm, I'm involved in certain things and all this kind of stuff. You know what Paul uses? He uses your time as an example. He says, Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. If you have New American Standard, it says, make the most of your time. If you happen to read Greek fluently, (laughs) it literally means redeem the time. Redeem your time. In other words, that time that we would spend in fruitlessness, what we would call wasting our time, God wants that time. To be children of light, to walk in the light, I have to use my time wisely, not as unwise. So I, I passed out these cards, these time cards. And when I was in college and a little bit in high school, I worked for an air conditioning company. And I'll bet this is the exact same design I had to use because it looks really familiar. But uh, every day I would clock in and I'd clock out. And that was the amount of time that I got paid for and so I'd get really excited if we had like a big project to do and I knew I was going to get overtime or if they said, hey, I was that guy where they're like, we need you to come in on Saturday. And I'm like, yes, more money, more overtime. And so I'd fill it out. And while I was driving, I'd figure out how much money I made that week. And, and I, I had a really hot girlfriend. And uh, so I spent all my money on her um, and still do. Because uh, I, I, I ended up marrying her, and I still spent all my money on her. Wait a minute. Okay, so, um, so I had this time card. On the back is that verse, and, and you can memorize that if you want. But here, here's, what I was hoping we, oh, here's what I was hoping we'd do. I was hoping that just for the next few minutes, we could think of this as our life. That we clock in and we clock out of the kingdom. That we've been given this stewardship, this breath of life, And anything that's used for the kingdom of God is a value, of eternal value. And the things that we don't use for the kingdom of God is wasted. Now, you go, well, gee, does that mean I can't ever play, like, tiny wings on my iPhone? Or I can't, like, like, I have to, like, be witnessing every, no, it doesn't mean that at all. What it means is, if your heavenly Father has entrusted you with your life, maybe he should be the first person we go to when we decide how to use that time. And so this, this little thing is meant to be kind of cut up, or, I mean, maybe you, could, you can keep it together if you want, but um, where are you wasting your time? Where is there time? Do you have time in your life? I, I have time in my life. If I look at some time I've spent doing things, I wished I could get that time back. You know? Some of us may have like a decade, our 20s. (laughs) I wish I had my 20s back or or whatever. Some of us are really good at things that have absolutely no value. When I was growing up, I used to love to go into the arcade and I'd play dig-dug, right, This this little thing. Nothing to show for that. Hours and hours and hours and probably hundreds of dollars, nothing. I'd love that time back. Man, I'd love that time back. I can sing the Gilligan's Island song from memory, <laughs> right? And the Brady Bunch, I, to Sharon Ott, I sang the Mighty Mouse song yesterday to her. Don't ask about it. It was weird, okay? <laughs> I wish I had all that time back, right? Listen, moving forward, I don't want to look back on my life and say, I wish I had spent my 40s different. And, and so here, here's, here's the exercise I'm hoping for us to do this week. Uh, I'm going to cut a little bit of this off, and I'm putting it on my phone, because my phone can be the biggest waste of time. Um, and I can idolize my phone. If it buzzes because I get a text, what do I do? I just reach for it. I look at it, because it's important. I, I can't tell you what my texts were four days ago. But I looked at every single one of them. It got my attention. I need to put a little piece of this on the corner of my phone to tell me, dude, are you wasting your time with that thing? I need to put a little bit of it on my television. Off to the side so I can see the game, but (laughs) over, over on my television. As just a reminder. This isn't like a whole thing of like every minute on television is a waste. It's just a reminder. It just gets me to go to my Heavenly Father. Lord, am I using this time wisely? I'd like to put a little bit on my dashboard so that as I'm commuting, I go, am I redeeming this time? Or am I just listening to music? Or is is there no kingdom value in what I'm doing? Now listen, I'm not asking us to throw fun out. (laughs) Like, you know, like a a, a TV, cell phone burning at the church or whatever. All I'm asking all I'm asking is to do is, is, is what I'm gonna do myself. Can we just go to our Heavenly Father and go, man, you've given me stewardship over this life? Is this really what I should be doing? You've given me uh, stewardship over my family. Does my do my kids really need to see me every time? Look at my phone, look at my phone, look at my phone, look at my phone. Can there be a time in my day where it just gets shut off? My attention goes to my family. Trust me, I'm speaking to myself just as much as I am to you. I I struggle with this very, very much. So think about it. Where would you go? Now watch what he says right after this. He says, the days are evil, right? Then he says this. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. You know what this says to me? This says to me that God has given me steward of a stewardship of my life. And that he has a will for it. He has a will for how I spend my time. And he can redeem it. As um, David come <laughs> is this guy, whatever, this worship leader guy, <laughs> as David comes back up, I want to read another verse that is just so awesome. Uh, Moses wrote this psalm, and he's writing and he's talking about like the anger of God and God's justice and how God gets ticked off sometimes, and it's really an uncomfortable read. Like you're like, ooh, you know, not anymore though. We're in the age of grace, right? I mean, like, you know, like Jesus and, and the lamb, you know, right? And, and so you're reading it, and, and in in the middle of this of this, um section of scripture that's talking about that god really cares about his creation and what we're doing he really does and so moses is writing this and then he says this he says oh sorry uh we'll get we'll get he says this he says so teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom what did paul say Don't live your lives as unwise, but as wise. Moses says, teach me the number of my days. Teach me the fear." What what if the envelope said seven days left? What if the envelope said you got 30 more days? You got a year to go. How would your life change? What would become valuable to you? I think that's how God wants us to live now. Before we close, I just want to give you the the kind of the main point. How we spend our time is how we spend our life. I mean, it seems so obvious. It seems eh, like, duh. But we've, oh, our life is a limited resource. The Bible tells us over and over again, it's a breath, it's a vapor.